Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode three of Sonic Insurgency. I'm your host, as always, Patrick McFarlane. Today, we're going to be talking about Lamb of God and their 2004 major label debut, Ashes of the Wake. More specifically, we're going to be talking about the context of the album's release and the uh, the concept of the album itself, which is based off of the war in Iraq and the invasion of Iraq. Uh, although that's we'll get into it, but that's not all that the album is about. Uh, before we get into that, though, a couple announcements here. I'm trying to get the uh, podcast released on all major podcasting platforms. You can sign up on Anchor right now and subscribe. However, it's not on iTunes and all that good stuff, but that's coming. So uh, the other thing is that I won't be playing actual music clips in the podcast because then Anchor limits me to only releasing episodes on Spotify. And I don't like using Spotify for podcasts, and I suspect a lot of other people don't. So I don't want to limit my reach that way. So anyways, don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, uh, give me a thumbs up, all that good stuff. Share this show if you like metal, if you have friends that like heavy metal. Uh, I really do appreciate that. It helps the podcast grow. If you write a good five-star review, I will read it on air and give you a shout out. Really do appreciate that. So without further ado, let us get into the album for today, Ashes of the Wake. Now, again, this uh, is from Virginia, Richmond, Virginia metalers. I like to call them groove metal, Lamb of God. Lamb of God is a very, very popular band. Uh, There were talks about them being the next Metallica. I, I think those talks are stupid personally because Metallica is the only Metallica. There will never be another Metallica. So... They're more like Southern groove metal is where I would put them. They do this thing. They were like the guitar world, ultimate guitar or guitar world magazine darlings for quite some time. And they had a big feature in guitar world about lamb of God's writing style and how they do this thing called riff farming, where they, they take a riff and they change it up just slightly as they go on. And, um, it seemed to me like that was an innovation at the time because I was learning how to play guitar. I really love Lamb of God. And in fact, Lamb of God was one of the first bands. They were one of the first bands with very harsh vocals that I ever listened to. And I remember in 2004 when this album came out, I was 11 years old and I was working summers for my dad doing lawn mowing. And I remember listening and being kind of afraid when I had bought this because I think I was still on my, I still had a CD player at that time. So I listened to this album over and over again because, you know, you got to carry all those CDs with you. And when you get done mowing, you'd have to, you know, stop and kind of switch it out and do all that kind of stuff. I might have had an MP3 player at the time. So, you know, I would load that up on there and I'd listen to it. And at the time, I was like going to Wednesday night Christian schools. And so, I got this album and I got like Slayer's Christ Illusion and I listened to Under Oath at the time and some other bands, but this really felt like naughty to me for some reason, even though I already listened to metal. So it was the like the harsh vocals. And I, I'm sure if you're around my age, this might have been one of the bands you listened to in middle school that really kind of got you into heavier music like that. So at the time though, I was uh, you know, I was eleven or when the invasion of Iraq happened, I was 10 years old. So this was in 2003. I didn't, I didn't connect the dots at all. I I didn't know that the, uh, the war in Iraq was going on. I had no idea. Maybe I vaguely knew what Iraq was or that there was a war happening because we had soldiers visit our school and, and talk about, you know, their experience and how important the military is, uh, elementary school. This happened. I vividly remember this. So, 
you know, being of the generation where 9-11 happened when I was oh, eight years old. No, I must have been seven years old. I remember I was in third grade and um, we had guidance counseling that day. And our guidance counselor was kind of a odd person, um, emotionally unstable, it seemed like it. But I just remember her like bawling in the classroom. So this is a major part, you know, of, of American history. And I think the important thing about, uh, I think American idiot was another album that came out in 2004. That was very critical of the post nine 11 world. And like, I don't want to talk out of my ass here, but it seems to me that this album ashes of the wake was another one of those first albums to really do that. And, I think it was really important. I mean, especially you get a bunch of burly guys who are from Virginia get up there and say that this shit sucks. And aside from that, they do it in a way that doesn't shit on the troops either. And that, to me, I think it's a very delicate topic. And in my other podcast, Liberty Weekly, I've I've gotten really into foreign policy and I've learned about the invasion of Iraq and all these different things. And I think when you're in that journey, you you hear a bunch of different sides of the story and maybe it's just me, but you land on the, you know, fuck the troops. Uh, the troops are baby killers kind of wagon, or at least you hear those things and maybe you touch on it because you look at all these, these atrocities and stuff, but evolving past that thinking and, and realizing that, you know, soldiers don't really know what they're getting into and signing up for. And Mark Morton, the guitarist for lamb of God really kind of gets into that, but to have, you know, guys who are tough, because when when you question the military as a male, um, you from right wingers you kind of get accused of being a pussy or being uh, not very manly or anything like that. But to have guys who go up there who are rugged and tough and they listen to heavy metal and they drink beer and stuff and they're from Virginia, they're kind of rednecks, and for them to get up there and say no, this is bullshit, I think is very important and a very important thing to do. But the way that they did it without criticizing the soldiers, um, and of course we'll get into that, but I, I think uh, one of the worst aspects of the anti-war movement is when they get into shitting on the troops because what that really does is you take all the soldiers who would have you know supported, questioned the war, who would have supported the anti-war message, and then it makes them tribal to say, no, you're saying, you know, you're saying fuck me, well, fuck you. And they kind of double down on it. But if you, you know, don't put them on a pedestal like our country does, our country does do that. It glorifies soldiers in war to a point where specifically other countries don't. But we're in a situation where the United States is the world empire and you, you can't really debate that fact. And it's very nice to live in Rome. <laughs> you know, it's very nice to be a Roman in the time of the Roman Empire at least not towards its fall. And so I think it's very important to do that by, you know, by criticizing and shitting on the soldiers and calling them, you know, baby killers and all that kind of stuff. Like in Vietnam, they really didn't do themselves a favor because they could have had a very powerful ally in a lot of soldiers who were uh, kind of questioning the war or saying how much they didn't like it. And there were some who fit into the anti-war movement, but there were a lot of others who, you know, would turn their back on it and, and, and be lost. I mean, soldiers are victims of war, just like in the same way that, um, that killed civilians are that murdered civilians are. And 
it, it's that you really have to point your fingers at the politicians and in a lot of cases the generals who send them there to die and the populace who really turns their back or sends soldiers off to kill and die in a war that the populace doesn't understand, uh, one that doesn't benefit the populace, where there's no clear mission, where there's moral ambiguity, and uh, where they're put in a situation where, uh, you know, torture like Abu Ghraib um, and the the just large-scale killing of civilians and this moral ambiguity takes place. That's just what war is. So you got to make sure when war happens it is you have a just reason for fighting. And I would posit the only just reason for fighting would be immediate self-defense. So uh, I, but, but let's, let's get into it here. So I'll pull out my, my vinyl at the end, but here we have uh, lamb of God's ashes, the wake Mark Morton dissects the band's breakout album. So he, he breaks down each track on their 2004 major level debut revolver magazine. I don't know if I'd call Lamb of God thrashers. They're more like Southern groove metal, like Pantera kind of, I guess in the early stages, Pantera was kind of a thrash metal band, but, um, so of course, Lamb of God was already kind of the talk of the metal community with new American gospel. I I always remember black label. That was a real like slapper at the time as the palaces burn was a really good album too but their 2004 album ashes of the wake advanced the conversation from lamb of god being one of the biggest new bands in metal to the next metallica Brr. um but their major level debut dropped on epic records august 31st 2004 and uh the biggest songs were laid to rest i mean i think that was on guitar hero and uh, now you've got something to die for, which, you know, like I said, the concepts for these albums really kind of went over my head, the subject matter. And, um, you know, a lot of people, it's hard to imagine what would have happened had this album not come out. So this is, they're getting a deluxe reissue. I think that was 15 years, but I got the 20 year. So Mark Morton says he didn't really want Laid to Rest to be the title track or the first track, but he wanted Hourglass, which I think was, I don't think that laid to rest unless you're unless it was kind of in the concept of a soldier really kind of trying to reconcile himself with the atrocities of war and things that he had to do. Um, I think laid to rest is kind of about that. You can make that argument. But there's an interesting part about how the main riff from laid to rest, the opening riff is very similar to into the pit by testament which would be interesting to play and compare. So he says, I think laid to rest is one of the earlier examples of us creating a hook and even having some melody without it coming from the singer on this, this album, you can kind of hear us coalesce creativity creatively and understand that you could become hooky and catchy without being particularly poppy. Uh, next is the, the second song hourglass, which is one of my favorite songs personally. And now you've got something to die for is too. In fact, when I play when I play this to myself, um, I usually skip "Laid to Rest" because I've just heard it so many times, and I think "Hourglass" slaps uh, just as good, especially in the context of of Iraq War too. So he says, more than anything, uh, "Hourglass" should have been the opener because of where my head was at the time. It wasn't necessarily more involved with one song or the other. I just felt like it sounded closer to an intro to me. It had more of an upbeat fireworks display, in my opinion. 
Willie Adler brought in that intro lift, the riff, the he's the rhythm guitarist, but we just built around it from there. That song, like so many on this album, had sort of a political slant to it. Lyrically, I had a pretty big hand in the lyrics on this one. It's been around for a while and one that they still play live. So he goes on, now, now you've got something to die for. It's another track that had a political bent. It was talking about the army and the Iraq war and all of that. It's an interesting song because the chorus is really just the repetition of that line, that repetitive hook. You can hear us trying to navigate this concept that we can have a hook that is not necessarily melodic or even catchy, just more repetitive and pounding. Randy and I have joked about how a conservative regime in the White House can be great for punk and heavy metal. As a band, we aren't all on the same platform. I find that our viewpoints are differing more and more. But sometimes, even though we all have specific roles within the band, there have been times where band members have tried to keep that in check. Or my part, whenever I write lyrics, I try to keep it a little vague and open to interpretation because I think that allows the listener to relate that to their own personal story. That's what resonates the strongest, which I find that interesting because I know that Mark Morton is anti-gun. At least, you know, I hope I'm not getting this wrong, but I distinctly remember him saying something about how he's anti-gun, which I couldn't really always circle that square because he always struck me as a redneck like everyone else in this band. So... Um, but anyways, uh, some interesting things that he says, he hasn't listened to the album in 10 years, which is interesting. And so one gun was another interesting kind of thing. He, he, uh, commented on, he said, I'm not sure where I was when I came up with this riff. I think the music on it is kind of okay. Maybe a little unrealized. That's interesting. Guitarist you know, himself criticizing his work on such an iconic album. I do think that the lyrics are definitely, definitely intense. And I took inspiration from Nas, which is really interesting. Uh, for those of you who are not familiar with hip hop music, Nas is a rapper, a nineties gangster rapper from, from New York. And, uh, I just thought that was interesting, but he, his track one mic he took inspiration from where he's talking about changing the world with one mic. I remember thinking if you can change the world with one mic, you can definitely change it with one gun. It's kind of extreme, but that's us depending on your perspective. An assassin can be a traitor or a patriot. So I think that was the viewpoint I was going for looking back. The riff could have used a little more polishing, but the lyrics are pretty pointed. We've always, we've also never played this live. So what I've become, he says, this might be our first step towards leaning more on a punk rock approach. Lyrically, it's about frustration with respect to intra-band relations. You're constantly at arm's length away from each other and things can get crazy. You can hear our approach here and how it mirrors later stuff like Contractor from their 2009 album Wrath and other songs we wrote this way. Um, It's interesting. I think he misuses that phrase. You're constantly at arm's length away from each other. I think he means you're always right next to and on top of each other. But when someone says at arm's length, I I envision them being like keeping their distance. But I know that Mark Morton specifically has had issues with Randy Blythe because I I recall like tour videos coming up where uh, Randy and Mark got into a fist fight. There's a famous one where they got into a fist fight outside their bus. And I think that was on the DVD for uh, ashes of the wake, if I'm not mistaken. So, uh, my other favorite album, ashes of the wake, the title track, he says, uh, we've never played this track live. It's an instrumental. 
And he says, we were thinking of ways to add this epic instrumental track, and someone came up with the idea for the interview sample. Then the idea for bringing two major figures from our influences, Alex Skolnick from Testament and Chris Polland from Megadeth, to play a single track for our band uh, was just sort of major for us. So it was a thrill to have them contribute to something that we were working on. And uh, that that audio, the interview sample they're talking about is an interview sample that we're going to talk about in just a second. Uh, from a Marine Corps vet talking about killing killing Iraqi civilians at checkpoints. Um, so that I thought that was uh, I remember hearing that. And when I was a younger kid, I, I didn't really I still didn't really make the connection. I was wondering kind of what that was all about because I just didn't know about any of that actually until I was like embarrassingly old, maybe 20, 21. But um, that's just how it is in the American public. We we don't. You know, war is not real to us. It's something that happens over there. Uh, war doesn't touch us. It touches, you know, individual soldiers that we may know, but that doesn't really touch us in our in our personal lives. Uh, well, there's no effect on our way of life. Uh, actually, well, there there is, but it's not ways that you know our country isn't devastated and destroyed in in very immediate ways like that. So here's another one I wanted to touch on. Um, let's see. Political commentary was nothing new for vocalist Randy Blythe, who grew up enamored with the ferocity and rhetoric of hardcore music. But he had addressed capitalism, greed, and war on the band's first three albums. Ashes of the Wake was more focused and coherent, taking direct aim at the U.S. administration and its policies during the war in Iraq. Ashes of the Wake includes harrowing quotes by former Marine Staff Sergeant Jim Massey after he returned from battle and Omerta opens up with an insightful spoken word passage by Blythe about honor in battle. You know, that famous passage, For wounded man shall say to his assailant, If I die, you are forgiven. If I live, I will kill you. Huh. I actually, I think that's backwards. If I live, I will kill you. No, it's not backwards. So, Omerta... I was always, uh, Randy Blythe says, I always like to write about whatever it is I'm thinking about. And at the time, I think the war was on pretty much everyone's mind, Blythe said. Politicians were saying one thing, but it didn't take a lot to see what was really going on was something else entirely. And at the same time, all these soldiers were being led into a situation they didn't sign up for. So I think that's the state of, uh, like I was saying about veterans in combat earlier, I, I think it's you know easy for people to be anti who are anti-war to be anti-soldier, but at the same time, you know, you know, talking, I've, I've done an episode about this on another podcast, but being someone who hasn't killed or been in combat before, uh, they really have no idea what they're talking about myself included, because it's like virgins talking about having sex or someone who's not a parent talking about being a parent. You just have no conception of what it is. And when these young men sign up for war, or to be in the military, what they think it is, is something like, um, something glorious, you know, even though, even though war movies are gritty and they show some, some of the bad sides, they, they think it's something glorious. And that's what we're, we're sold on really like Mel Gibson's the Patriot or, you know, saving private Ryan at that time really put things on a pedestal. It still showed the harsh reality of war. But if you're a kid like me, Growing up and in 1999, Saving Private Ryan comes out. You really think that it's uh, cool. You know, you, you want to sign up. And and actually, there's a lot to be said about uh, the CIA's influence on popular films. 
and especially how about the time of 9-11 in Iraq, there were a lot of war movies going on, especially talking about World War II and cementing that narrative in, in the young military-age male population. So um, our next article here, a little more commentary on its political ma- nature. Ultimately, it's Ashes of the Wake's unabashedly political nature that informs its excellence. Upon the album's release, George W. Bush was running for his second term with both parties engaging in then unprecedented levels of political shit-talking. <laughs> uh, the war in Afghanistan was well into its third year, and Iraq was beginning its second. Let's see if that's true. I think the war in Afghanistan started in October 2001, and this came out in August 2003. Um, So someone who's smart, do that math for me. Uh, The war in Afghanistan was well into its third year, and Iraq was beginning its second. Let's see. I think that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. It is its third year. And Iraq was beginning its second. The album was being written during the Abu Ghraib torture and prisoner abuse scandal and produced during the first battle of Fallujah. All these events rear their heads like the heads of the Satan in the book of Revelations in Ashes of the Wake, either overtly or implicitly. These are the best lyrics Blythe has ever penned, according to Invisible Oranges. Um, I don't particularly think that Randy Blythe is an astute lyricist. Um, I think he tends to do things like he he writes lyrics in common sayings that he says a lot. Um which I'll get into in a second, but um, I, I would agree with that here. You know, uh, especially now you've got something to die for. It does slap. Um, Hourglass is really good too. So he pushes what could be a blockheaded single, like now you've got something to die for, into a burning indictment of the U.S. military policy, chocked with black humor, speaking directly to his audience of potential enlistees. Bombs to set the people free, blood to feed the Dollar Tree. Flags for coffins on the screen, oil for the machine, army of liberation, gunpoint indoctrination, the fires of sedition, fulfill the prophecy. He says sedition a little differently to make it rhyme, I think. Send the children to the fire, sons and daughters stack the pyre, stoke the flame of the empire, live to lie another day, face of hypocrisy, raping democracy. I'm no fan of democracy, uh, but now you've got something to die for. So uh, I think it's interesting. Uh, and again, I'm no fan of democracy because democracy is three wolves and one sheep deciding what's for dinner. Uh, just because the majority says something doesn't make it the right decision. So, um, you know, there's an allusion to Peace Cells, which I think is, you know, it's a really great Megadeth album. But, um, you know, so we get in the lyrics here, uh, especially the lyrics for Ashes of the Wake. And this is the testimonial uh, from the Marine Corps vet. He says, we killed, a lot of civ- we killed a lot of innocent civilians. To us, every civilian in Baghdad was a terrorist. They said, these Fedayeen now in civilian clothes, that makes everybody free game. But if they came within our perimeter, we lit them up. And when we would pull the body out and when we would search the car, we would find nothing. This took place time and time again. No harm, no foul. That's okay. Don't worry about it. Because this is a new type of war. This is an eradication. I honestly feel like we're committing genocide over there. I don't believe in killing civilians, and I'm not going to kill civilians for the United States Marine Corps. And um, I, you know, for for those of you who aren't familiar with uh, Iraq War II, the Fedayeen was uh, Saddam's 
uh, like Royal Guard. I think they were his like elite troops. But the problem was is that once um, soldiers, once the United States uh, invaded Iraq, the Fedayeen, there were all these, I don't know, like these intel, mis-intel mis things about them. And the Fedayeen were really hard to identify because, again, they were in civilian clothes. I don't know if the Fedayeen ever had uniforms or if they were ever uniformed. But once the invasion happened and the insurgency started, uh, it, was, it was difficult to tell who, who was an enemy and who uh, was not, who was just a civilian. And you, you get a lot of this if you watch um, Generation Kill, which is that HBO special about the invasion. And uh, I would highly, highly recommend it. I think it's the best piece of the best, most realistic piece of film uh, ever, I think, about the real experience of military. And I, I have the book, too. It was um, I believe it was a writer for the Rolling Stone uh, who was embedded with the Marine Corps during the invasion. And he wrote this book based off his actual experience there with them so here uh about the about page for ashes of the wake on genius lyrics for what it's worth says lamb of god has a history of speaking out against the war in iraq not against soldiers but certainly against politicians and poor oversight this album launched during the bush administration a particularly divisive time in american politics when we had arguably gone to war with certain countries for many unfounded reasons uh that's putting it lightly so this is an excerpt from an interview with former Marine Staff Sergeant Jimmy Massey upon his return from Iraq. Uh, details highlight the orders Marines were given when in theater. So um, let's see. We have more lyrics here. And there was a, a point in time, I think, uh, what I've become. So the genius lyrics say, even though um, Mark Morton said that this song is about band members not getting along, it's interesting how different people interpret different things. And so the genius annotation says, this song is about a company of soldiers once faithful to the stated purpose of their war. They begin to realize that they are committing murder and mayhem on behalf of callous economic forces with no human interest. They are victims of cruelty and forced by their circumstances into cruelty themselves. They, their enemy, and the collateral innocence in the way are all in line to be, quote, ground by the gears of the masterpiece. Most haunting of all is the recent indignant death of a beloved comrade. His ghost follows them, narrating their guilt and regret as their morale wears away. It invites them with life's biting sarcasm to salvage their illusion of righteousness and sanctify what he has become, a hollow sacrifice. Let's just take a look at the, the lyrics here. He says, um, blank stares from broken men so withered from the poisons they can't remember when there were once... Uh, there were once honest reasons. It's all a lie. It died a hundred thousand miles ago. Let's see what the annotation says. Yeah. Okay. Uh, pretending I'm still here. So, I mean, you could interpret this as being about the Iraq war because, you know, blank stares from broken men, a company of soldiers, so withered from the poisons. Now in a band context, that could be, you know, people doing lots of drugs or drinking a lot on tour, but in Iraq specifically, and I think Afghanistan too, I don't know if you've ever heard about the burn pits. Uh, you know, the military, they had to deal with garbage disposal. So they would take all these toxic materials and put them in a huge giant burn pit and burn it. And actually this is how Bo Biden, Joe Biden's son died is that he got a brain tumor from the burn pits in Afghanistan. I mean, talk about wasting hundreds of, of 
millions of dollars, just equipment. I had a buddy who was a medic in Afghanistan, and he told me that uh, the burn pits were a big problem, that he would see like new TVs being thrown into these burn pits because like when the army would just relocate or they would get new supplies, they would just burn the old stuff. So uh, interesting. Justify what I've become, sanctify what I've become. Amazing disgrace how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Better lost if this is found, best blinded never to see. The race to save face, nothing now is what we meant it to be, pretending I'm still here. So that that very very well could have um you know soldiers in war context. It's a system now intertwined. Take your place in the line to be ground by the gears of the masterpiece. Betrayal. Now that could be a band talking about, you know, the label having different plans for them or you know, just the way that touring winds up, but it could also be applied to soldiers in war. Justify what I've become, sanctify what I've become. That could also be about a band, someone trying to justify life on the road or the choices they made in their life. Suffered consequence. It's been so long since any piece of this made any kind of sense. You anoint the king. I'll burn everything down to ashes. You giveth, I taketh away. Uh, The fallen soldier's voice of revelation. This is the annotation from Genius Lyrics. The fallen soldier's voice of revelation describes the moral dissonance in the men's efforts to both anoint the king, conquer for the benefit of their nation, and burn everything, destroy innocent people for a hollow cause. Um, So a little comment on the album itself. Let's just see here. So a little comment on the album itself. I think that my main critique of this album, aside from Randy Blythe sometimes doing what he does and talking like common phrases, I'm just trying to think. Um, there's some about it in Hourglass. Privileged to chosen few, blessed with our time in hell, witness a divine vision the day we all fell still. Actually, I think these are pedal to the metals. Okay, so what I'm thinking of is that one lyric from Remorse is for the Dead. This is just an example of that came to mind um, right away. Okay, so he says, pedal to the metal, asleep. Okay, uh, surroundings are irate. Crack of dawn brings naught but pain. Resentment steadily grows. Laughing in the gallows. So this is, Randy does this thing where he like uses all these figures of speech like in a row. And I just, I I don't like it. I think it's kind of cheap and uh, clunky and blockheaded. But he says, laughing in the gallows, full throttle, determined to fail. Pedal to the metal, asleep at the wheel. We are the lucky ones. Welcome home. Light the match, start the fire, level this place until nothing's left and take us with it, with us. So, yeah, I don't know. That's That's just my critique. The other thing that I critique about this album is that it sounds very produced sounding. Like, I, I didn't realize this until actually like my ex-girlfriend pointed it out is like the album just sounds produced. I don't know. It, it doesn't sound very raw or warm. It just sounds very produced and digital. And that's, that's the only other criticism I have, but otherwise this album is a very solid iconic album. And I really appreciate the fact that they, they take white, what could have been and was an unpopular stance at the time, maybe more unpopular maybe in like October 2001 to take an anti-war stance, especially against, I mean, Ron Paul himself 
was was saying that we need to do to do something. I don't want to um, misquote him, but um, Ron Paul, you know, he's one of the most anti-war politicians ever. And he himself was saying, well, we should use letters of mark and reprisal to take care of these terrorists. But of course, you know, all through the 80s and 90s, he was saying that our policy in the Middle East is going to create blowback. So um, that just that is how it is. So I think um, this is one of my favorite albums. Let's see. Let's do the. uh, This is my vinyl. I got the uh, anniversary edition of it here. I really do like it. Now, I did have an article I was going to take a look at about the album art, but saying what it signifies. But these are supposed to be uh, peace doves who are like skeletized. And instead of like carrying an olive branch, they're carrying bullet cartridges. So that's pretty cool. And then you can see kind of the drudgery of, uh, you know, people who are hauling their body parts in in these, um, you know, wagons, just kind of slaving away, dealing with the you know bombs falling and everything like that and they're in blood red and the the other thing um let's see here the the other thing about it that i appreciate is that there it has like a middle eastern feel but at the same time it's like pure american death metal so it has that kind of you know you notice throughout it they don't go like what nile does the the death metal band nile they in some of their albums, they actually have like the call to prayer, uh, the, the Muslim call to prayer. But in this, they have like a lot of very Middle Eastern feeling, um, you know, sound effects and, and riffs that are kind of keyed in that key that makes it sound that way. But they also like frame this thing in a way that they say at the time was like a holy war kind of thing. And I think some of that rhetoric was like some of the pro-war stuff was couched in that rhetoric but they they talk about you know hourglass says no it's um now you've got something to die for uh infidel imperial lust for blood a blind crusade apocalyptic we count the days in allusion to counting the days and deaths on the news coverage of iraq because iraq war 2 was one of the first like wars where you could watch it in real time or very close to real time uh, especially with shock and awe you know you have you have uh the bombs dropping in the background let's just put that on i know i tried to keep these episodes short but i am if i shoot for 20 minutes maximum then maybe i'll end at 30 or 40 um let's look at shock and awe just a little bit here So people were watching this as it happened on the news, is my understanding, that this was live coverage. But, I mean, could you imagine this, just watching an entire country being destroyed in real time? You know, and this is like when when we... Bomb, when Trump bombed Syria, and I think it was Brian Stelter was watching the uh, the rockets come out of the the ship and saying that it was beautiful and magnificent so this is some of the you know the footage of the explosions some pictures here for those of you not watching the video versions um so yeah it's it's um it's pretty rough stuff and here's the cnn coverage 
I mean, I just couldn't imagine being there during all of that. On either side, here's some explosions. Okay, yeah, well, I'll end it there. So anyways, thanks for listening to this episode of Sonic Insurgency. I really do appreciate it. Uh, if, again, if you would subscribe, rate, review, uh, that helps this show grow. It also encourages me to keep doing it. You can watch and subscribe on YouTube, but I would encourage you to watch and listen on Odyssey. Uh, I'll put the links in the show notes to the YouTube video and everything else. Um, so otherwise, you can go to Odyssey at odyssey.com, O-D-Y-S-E-E, and just search sonic insurgency and so i really want to cover some hidden gems on this but i'm hitting up a lot of the stuff that i think is is pretty popular uh, but yeah so anyways uh really do appreciate it and um looking forward to next time peace